Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. Ever meet somebody and in an instant you know they're your friend? That's Michael Gervais to me. Really, he's Dr. Michael Gervais. And that's because he's a high-performance psychologist who works with world record holders, Olympians, musicians, and Fortune 100 CEOs, along with Coach Pete Carroll and the National Football League's Seattle Seahawks. You may be familiar with Michael from his podcast, Finding Mastery. Over the course of my entire life, I think I spent about six hours with Michael, but he's had a very powerful impact on everything I'm doing right now and hope to do over the next 30 years. A little while back, Michael had me on his podcast to talk about mastery and interviewing. His podcast is all about the skills, habits, strategies, and patterns that enable people to master what they do. But it felt like I was the one who had the aha moment during our conversation Michael was looking to see if there were overlaps in the way we conduct interviews. Me, with decades of experience as a journalist. Michael, after decades as a therapist. It seemed like we both used similar skills to open a subject up and pull out the experiences, thoughts, and actions that reveal the essence of the person. But after I mined that information... I'd use it to sculpt a portrait of that person in words for a magazine or book. As a therapist, Michael is in a very different place. He doesn't stop to sculpt after the reveal. He's just getting started. He's showing an athlete, musician, or CEO their experiences, habits, and patterns in a way that enables them to improve, even turn weaknesses into strengths. He's showing people how extraordinary they might become. There's an extra level to how Michael sees an interview. It's a level that I now see myself applying in my new business, helping companies tell their authentic stories. Give you an example. I could write a story about a company in a magazine. It would give readers some new insights, maybe a different point of view, possibly even spark some new ideas. But look at what can happen when Michael's next level is added. Look at it through this example of a guy who founded a company in Pennsylvania. Small company, centers around healthcare, aren't many employees. When the founder reached out to me, he almost apologized saying, what we do isn't very sexy. I began to ask some questions and it wasn't long before I realized that without the service this company provides, there would be absolute chaos in hospitals. The founder of this company wants to grow this service into a national company. And I thought, whoa, if I could help him tell the story of what his company does, and that story helped his outfit grow into a national company, how many jobs would be created? How many lives would be changed? Well, The founder of that company is flying to Munich, Germany for my storytelling workshop on July 5th and 6th to start that process. Many other companies will be represented. And with thanks to Michael Gervais, I hope to continue taking what I do to this next level. So if you know anyone who's looking to improve the way their company tells its stories, tell them we'll be happy to see them in Munich July 5th and 6th You can go to cochrea.com, that's C-O-K-R-E-A.com for details. Hey, let's have a beer. Michael will be there in spirit for all the great stories and growth that come out of that workshop will have been touched by the questions that he asked me. Michael and I caught up recently over breakfast and headed over to WeWork to record the conversation you're about to hear. Michael loved the penthouse office space view. Sounds like another great sponsorship opportunity for both WeWork and Michael. Everything I'm doing now seems to be enhancing possibilities for people. Hope that something good comes out of this conversation, something that will improve your life and take you to new places. So let's get straight to Michael Gervais. 
All right, we are here. It's so good to be here. And it must be great because you just got through traffic on the 405. <laughs> yeah. What happened? What happened, man? You know, I don't know. I left myself a solid hour and 10 minutes to arrive. And then I think everyone had the same idea. The same exact idea I did was <laughs> let's come see Cal. And you know, it just, it just jammed up. There's only four, five lanes on the 405 and it just jammed up. And so you're stuck in traffic. Is there a way to master being stuck in traffic? <laughs> you yeah, have studied there mastery is. for, oh, that's Absolutely why we're here. Yeah, it's the same as maybe every activity we do, which is to be right where your feet are. And so that was my job, be right in the car. Be right where your feet are. That's it, yeah. That, in essence, that is what mindfulness is really about, which is the training and the science and the art of being fully present. So, so you wanted to be fully present mm -hmm. in that traffic jam. Mm -hmm. It was training for me to feel the tension, <laughs> to feel my blood boil. <laughs> yeah. And then to see how quickly and eloquently I could do something with it to find the state that I want to be in. And we're both laughing because it sounds so crazy, but it was actually what I was doing while I was driving. <laughs> uh, you know, you got, and what happened is Michael drove up to breakfast at the Nosh this morning and we just had a great time. And he started to tell me stories and I almost didn't want them to be told then because I wanted to hear them for the first time now. But I got to start off with this amazing story that you started to tell about paddling from Catalina Island to Redondo the mainland yeah. on Redondo Beach. Like mm -hmm. just you and a paddle. How did this come about? Okay, so now we're going to get more dramatic <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, there's a couple things that took place. One was. For, I grew up surfing in, in Southern California, looking out across the ocean and knowing that there was Native Americans that would build their own boats on the island. They'd build their own boats, haul them out, and then travel to the mainland to be able to grab food for their families. And then they travel back. And it's 30 miles. And they do it by themselves. No navigation. Two or three folks would get in a boat and they would do this on a regular basis. And I was always inspired by that path, by that trail. There's been about 20 people that have done stand-up paddling from the island back to the mainland. And so it's not like it hasn't been done before. And a stand-up paddle is a re really large looking surfboard if you haven't been on one before and with a paddle. And you stand with your feet facing in the direction you want to go and you put your oar in the water and you dig and you dig and dig and dig. <laughs> And so um, I thought that maybe that could be the route that I could take, you know, stand up paddling across it. And I, I shared it with my, one of my friends who's a world-class paddleboarder. And he was like, that, Mike, that'd be a great project for you. <laughs> and so three years later, he says, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, are you really going to do it or are you just going to talk about it? I said, ooh, there it is. There's the challenge. And so um, we created a beautiful plan Gene Tarzan is his name, and Peter Park helped me get me in great shape. And um, so I had technical training, physical training, and then, you know, obviously I was doing the mental training for myself, and uh, it ended up working. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You get that? That's not the story. Uh, coming from you, I knew that the jump in the punchline <laughs> is never going to work. <laughs> so you, you start out, and... Like what's going through your head? You're basically on a surfboard with a paddle, starting into the ocean. Is this gonna be like, what did you anticipate? Eight, nine, 10 hours? Yeah, it was supposed to be um, about six and a half hours is what we had trained for. And you never know what happens in mother nature. And you know, the true mission was not just to travel or traverse what the ancients did but it was to go find myself in isolation in the wild and to knock off the calcium that I've built up by being digitally exposed and you know having technology basically run my life for the last 15 years. And so I had this deep crave to travel the path of the ancients and to go rediscover, rewild myself 
with Mother Nature. And, you know, I think it's easy to say this here in a beautiful building with temperature of, you know, 71 degrees that, you know, there's something very special that happens in Mother Nature. And, but that rewilding experience when you cannot predict how Mother Nature is going to behave. And there's, there's the Hurricane Alley out in the middle of the Pacific there and there's Shark Alley. And you got to get through both those things. And the thing about sharks is that, um, you know, you don't know if it, what happens until they actually hit you. <laughs> so it's like managing that unknown. And then there's also winds and currents. And so what ended up taking place is I wanted to go find the edges of myself to knock off that technology calcium and uh, get reconnected. And I knew I couldn't do it in the conventional sense. And I knew that I couldn't do, I didn't want to do it with a buddy, you know, and it definitely was not a notch on my belt. And so there I am on the shores of Catalina Island. It's 5.30 in the morning, beautiful glassy conditions. My heart is pounding because I'm about to go travel 30 miles by myself. Now there is a boat, there's a trail boat to make sure that um, if something went terribly wrong, that it, this is not a life and death thing, but this is a, a, an expedition. And so my heart's pounding. I give a final hug to my coach. Uh, I look out and it's got this beautiful glass, like I said, and it's a little haze. So you can't see the mainland. It's too far and there's um, the curvature of the earth. You just can't see it. And so I just paddle out and I start going. Now, I made a fundamental mistake starting. Everybody told me, don't come out too fast. <laughs> don't let your adrenaline take over. My, my, my target pace was 4.1 miles an hour. Looking back, it was about 5.1 for the first 10 miles. Oh, yeah. man. Rookie, you were smoking. Rookie mistake. I mean, so the first, so I, I jump in the water and I had this plan that the first couple hours was going to be a pure gratitude meditation. And that's what I was going to do for a couple hours. Just be fully connected to who and what I'm grateful for. Well, it kicked up my pace like an incredible speed. So I ended up burning. Because you were so grateful. So grateful <laughs> of, of the board, of the ocean, of my family, of my people. You know, so grateful. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, but it really set the frame up right for me. You know, the frame of mind. It was really a wonderful way to start. And I was clipping. Like I wasn't thinking about technique and it was a good little pace. But I started burning through calories too fast. And I sweat, I'm a sweater, so I sweat easily. And my shirt was soaked and I was like, okay, so I'm starting to really have to dial in this hydration and nutrition thing, which I had been mindful of how to do it. Every, every hour you gotta take some sustenance in. Well, it all changed at mile 21. I hit a current that was 3.2 miles an hour straight into me. And I was doing 3.2 miles an hour. Yeah. That's when you need to be moving at five. That's right. But I had nothing left. And how far were you from the shore? I was about 10 miles at that point. Could you see it? Yes, I could see it at oh, that point. And you see that it's just staying in the same place. Yeah. The yeah. harder you row, the more it stays in the same 40, place. 47 minutes. Stand still. And you're just... 90% max effort. My shirt is now dry. Full delirium. Oh, no. The boat swings by and says, hey, Mike, it's bad. I said, no kidding. <laughs> so that, that, that's the beginning of the story. So for 47 minutes, it was 47? It was. 47 minutes, you are pedaling frantically and you are going nowhere. And I learned in, inside of that, there was a really big insight that took place for me. And this is where I knew I was gonna find what I was looking for. And this all sounds so dramatic as I'm telling it in my head, but I, I really was broken. And what ended up happening is that for the first time, I felt this really deep, really deep sense of abandonment. Now, no one left me. <laughs> That's not what was really happening here. But I just got in touch with this loneliness because I, I could have jumped in this boat if I wanted to, 
But that's not what I set out to do. It just reinforced what I was looking for is like technology is not a solution. Being connected through technology is not the solution. Like it really was a rewilding and finding myself. But think about how like, so I'm a trained psychologist that work in the most elite environments of perform human performance in the world. And I needed to go get this, <laughs> this lost to get found. And so 47 minutes, I went through every emotion at 10, at scale. <laughs> I was pissed. I was scared. I was trying to figure, I was sad and lonely. And I was trying to figure out how to use all of it and, and you know, survive in some sense of the, the words. But so the boat swings around and he says, uh, you know, this is bad. Captain says, this is really bad. Um, you're in a kelp bed. I can't come get you. If I come back again, um, you got to get in the boat. I'm, I'm not getting in that boat. He looks at me. He's like, I know you're not getting in this boat. <laughs> so, you know, and so, man, I, the thing that I learned most in the experience was how important relationships are. One with myself and then one with the loved ones that I had been this selfish man in their life by pursuing my dreams, by pursuing, you know, these the insights of how the best in the world work and studying the science and getting absorbed in the environments where human potential is expressed and industries are changed and global understandings of what's possible are influenced. And I've been chasing that and trying to really get my arms around and understand it for the last 20 years. And there's been a cost. What's the cost? My relationships with my loved ones. They're not in those relationships or they're not in those environments with me. How many loved ones have been affected? Uh, the two, two most important ones, my son and my wife, those are the two that hurt. The other loved ones are my parents, you know, like my friends, my in-laws, you know, like those relationships matter so much. They're, they're all loving relationships, but the intimacy between my wife and, and son is different. Do you feel like just by going after this dream or vision that you had to accumulate all the wisdom and mastery has actually boomeranged against you in some way? It can't be. Like what you're doing yeah. is such a great thing. Well, it is. Like I really innocently and purely want to understand how is it that humans are able to flourish? Like from the most innocent way, that's what I'm drawn to understand. But to do anything at the depth of true understanding. And I'm not talking about like kind of understanding somebody said something to you once you you repurpose it to sound smart and then two levels into it, you re they realize and you realize that you don't really know what you're talking. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the Instagram slogan genius, you know, that, that stuff. I'm talking about like really getting into the spaces between the notes and understanding the magical tension that lies in there. And that is how humans unlock potential. It is the space between thoughts. It's not the words alone, and it's not the actions alone. It's the space between the words. It's the, it's the pausing and tension and cadence of action. To be able to do the extraordinary requires us to line up our thoughts, our words, and our actions in any environment. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, the jazz musician Thelonious Monk who talked about the space between the notes being where the essence of the music is. Yeah, most people, like if I, so I, I don't know how to play tennis. There's a lot of sports I have no idea how to play. I could kind of figure it out. But if I'm gonna, if I'm a rookie and I'm playing tennis against somebody who's played a long time, I'm just trying to track the ball, figure out where it is, but I don't have any frames of reference. I have no heuristics which are mental snapshots that help us predict. And so experts are able to predict what's about to happen because they're better attuned to what's actually taking place in the present moment. And so if you can, if you can pay attention to the details of the present moment, such as picking up the angle of somebody's hips or the rotation of their shoulders or the trajectory of the ball as it comes off of the racket, that all of that becomes ways to speed up response rates. And so therein lies the space between. 
as opposed to just like, okay, the ball's coming across the net. Now what do I do? Yeah, and now I get it. When Kobe Bryant was talking about how slowly things are moving, he's like seen it before it's even going to happen. Yeah, that's right. So actually, like time doesn't slow down or speed up, we think. What happens when athletes talk about being in the zone or flow state, as it, this is the science term of it, is that they have actually syncopated their mind in real time. So most of us, our minds are working ahead of time or maybe behind time, but ahead of time is we're thinking about stuff. We're trying to predict through thought rather than being so consumed with what is that we're on time with the information that's happening. And that in is where mastery lies, that people can deepen their focus to be fully engaged in the present moment, pick up the nuances that everybody else misses and respond and adjust sometimes elegantly. What has this all brought to you? Because how many podcasts have you completed? Yeah, so uh, I think we just released 200. Okay, so you've looked at mastery from 200 of the most advanced, intelligent, most courageous, extraordinary humans, yeah. What have you learned? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Thanks, Cal. <laughs> um, I, I should reference, though, the 20 years of studying it before. Like, the podcast was almost like a postgraduate school where it was the frontier, it was exploring the frontier. And so I had my arms around the science of it, human performance at the highest, most rugged, intense environments known to humans. And I, I was getting my arms around that, but I was just hungry to, to understand deeper. So what have I learned? I've learned that there is no one path. There's no hacks. There's no tricks. There's no tips. There's no secrets to unlocking potential. There are fundamental ways to organize one's inner world to line up their external life. And without that fundamental commitment to condition your mind, to relentlessly refine your craft, and to have the carriage, the body, to be able to go the distance, mastery does not happen. There's only three things that we can train as humans, our craft, our body, and our mind. And all three are required. The world's best, they don't leave one of those up to chance. They might be lacking in one or the other a bit, compensated for their first, you know, their, their genius, if you will. But there's only three things you can train. Best in the world are not leaving that up to chance. So why should the rest of us? Oh, I know why. Because psychology is taboo. Because psychology was born out of the medical model studying what didn't work, the weak mind, the dysfunctional mind. Who wants to go into an office where quote unquote crazy people go. That's why it doesn't work. That's why we're not relentlessly training our minds at scale across the globe. Oh man. Now I really got to get my head examined. <laughs> yeah, well we all do. Like, so think about that we don't even understand the brain. It's the three point some pounds of tissue in our skull and it's the most powerful engine in the world. The mind is the software that's running that engine. Who programmed your mind? Who programmed yours? That's a scary question. That's right. And it may have been a lot of the television that I watched when I was a kid and didn't even know it. Uh-huh. Obviously what my parents told me. Uh-huh. Then, you know, you it, it really brings up the point of uh, show me who your friends are. I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so we all, I'm, I'm included in that, you know, like my software is patchy and buggy <laughs> and, you know, it was not programmed by the greatest programmer in the world. I did it. <laughs> you know, like my, help me out. So that's why, that's the reason I knew that I was, my software was suboptimal. And I figured that out as a 15 year old kid because I, I couldn't quite get free. You know, I would play it safe and small and I felt constricted. I couldn't figure out how to be free. And so I said, I got to figure this thing out. And the cool, cool, that sounds so Californian, which it is. <laughs> the, the cool part about it is that we can all upgrade how that software works. And that's just about conditioning our minds. 
Well, this is a huge breakthrough for me because I didn't even know I had any software. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, to be fair, it's an emblem. I mean, I'm just I using it as I, an, I'm yeah, joking right. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you were telling me a story over breakfast and I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to tell it again because you mentioned the podcast and where it took you. I know where this podcast has taken me. Mm. And you were talking about somebody who wanted to go in the direction that you went. I'm just going to let you tell the story because it's just, it's a story that speaks to anybody who's thinking, hey, maybe I should start a podcast. This is really a funny moment for me. It was, it caught me off guard. There's a fitness place that I go to and um, I like to turn my mind off sometimes in fitness and just have an expert teach, you know, and kind of run me through the programs. And so it's a group class and I show up and this is my second day there. And there's this extremely fit human that's leading the class. And he comes up and he says to me, he goes, hey, um, excuse me, but are, are you Michael Gervais? I said, oh my God, what has happened to my life? And so I, I, said, I said, yes. And he said, he said, hey, I just, wanted, I just wanna give you props and say, I love your work. Like what you've done is amazing. And I've been following you for a long time. And I just wanted to you know, introduce myself and I don't wanna bug you. I know you're here to you know, get a sweat going. And, and so I was like, oh, thank you. You know, super grateful for it. And I was like really appreciative, like it was thoughtful. So I come back a couple days later and yeah, he's the coach again. And he comes up and he says, hey, hey Mike, how you doing? I said, great. And I'm wondering now at this moment, like I'm kind of trying to figure out, cause I can tell he wants to say something. I've got about four minutes before the class is about to start, but I, I really like him, but I need to get myself ready. So there's that tension and he says, hey, can, can you tell me, I'd love to do what you do. Like, how have you done it? And so I, I kind of gathered myself a minute and I was like, okay, I wanna, I wanna be thoughtful about this. How do I do this? And so I, it's almost like I took a step back and I, I, I noticed now that I look down to the right and I'm gathering my thoughts. And I said, okay, well, it started, I got a, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology and then a master's degree in sports science. And then that wasn't quite enough to understand how the mind works. So I went and finished up with a PhD uh, in psychology, specialization in sport, and then got licensed in, in uh, the state of California. And then I really didn't know anything. Then I needed to go get into some really heavy environments to figure some stuff out. And I look up at him and his eyes were as big as saucers. And I was like, oh God, this is not what he expected. And, and he says, you, you had to do all that to be a podcaster? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh my God, oh no, what has happened? You know, like, so, um, yeah, it was, a it was a intense moment for me to, it was like, almost like a crisis because the thing that I really love is the science of psychology and deconstructing, demystifying how we can translate how the best in the world work from a science lens for the rest of us. And I was recognized as being the podcaster. And so it was this existential crisis. You, you know? know what? This is where I wanted to go uh, because I wanted to see where this podcast has taken you. How has it changed your life? Obviously, for you to walk into a gym and be recognized, there's a symbol in itself. Mm. What was it that made you want to start a podcast in the first place? It was a selfishness that I was experiencing. And so some of, as a professional, uh, as a psychologist, some of the most extraordinary, courageous men and women in the world have asked me to help them pursue their potential. And they have shared things that are difficult to share, both from an aspirational dream perspective and from the dark side and the difficult side of humanity in the most stressful environments in the world. What they have been able to unlock within me and what I've been hopefully able to return for them has been so meaningful, but it's all selfishly kept by license, by, by my, my trade. I, I can't share any of those practices and insights because of confidentiality of client um, privilege. So I thought I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing a service to the information that I've been provided. 
So what would be a way to do that? You're like a library that nobody can go into. That, I've never, that's a cool analogy. And it, but it felt really lonely and very selfish. So I didn't want to write a book because I'm making up fictitious names about people and changing the nature of it. And the purity of something is really important to me. So a book with different names of people didn't feel right to me. And I'm not like you. I'm not a writer. I don't, I, that's not my skill. I was interviewed by um, Rich Roll, who is a podcaster. podcaster. <laughs> and it was long form, just like this. And at the end of it, I thought, I got to go somewhere in this conversation. It wasn't a little snip. It wasn't a little quick little hit on a soundbite. Like I got to explore with him. And I thought, I wonder if that would be the medium to share with people that would never have access to the psychology and the thinking strategies and the habits of thought and how the most courageous men and women organize their inner world. And that's where it started. It was, I don't know, I've, I've, I've loved every part of it. And I've been up and down with like, it's been hard. It's, I found myself being bored at times with like, where am I going? Really? Yeah. I mean, like you I, have such great guests. How, how can you be bored? Well, as soon as, as soon as it happens and I'm in the conversation, it feels like it's like magical, you know? That's yeah, I mean, not you're interviewing it, Steve Kerr and like you have experiences that go back to him when he was just starting as yeah, an oh, NBA yeah. coach. Yeah. It's like an amazing podcast to listen to because you see where he took those seeds and how he planted them and grew them and what he turned or what the Golden State Warriors turned into with him as coach. Yeah, he's brilliant. He is special. Thank you for that. It was, um, that was a fun conversation. But the, when, the, when the conversations is happening, it's not, it's not boring by any means. But the work that precedes it is hard and it's grubby and it's difficult and it's not stimulating, you know, to line up logistics and to line up um, all the editing and the management of folks that are helping me do all of that. Like that part is, you know, it's, it feels, it looks like it's super simple to have a, a podcast, like turn on two mics and record it and put it up on iTunes. It, it doesn't work. As you know, it doesn't work like that. It's not, it's not that simple. So. Well, well, where does it go from like your first podcast, you hit the switch to end the interview. What are you feeling and where is it going? I always leave a conversation with this hope that I did the extraordinarily brave human justice in the 90 minutes or an hour that we have. Like I, I always hope that I did right by them. And then mechanically where does it go next is you know press stop and i send it to an engineer uh trevor is my guy that is like he's responsible for the success of the program fully you know i just show up and ask questions <laughs> you know so he does all the mechanics behind the scenes build the website engineering responsible for managing the sales of the ads on it and for a long time we didn't have any sale any ad sales we didn't you know we're just it was like this really fun build that we we're trying to create. And then we tried an agency. That didn't really work. That didn't feel right. What's the problems with that? With the agency? Yeah. Is it that they, it's just all transactional? Yeah, that's what it felt it's like. It's like they don't understand exactly what you do. Yeah, so what ended up happening for us is that, so an agency, it's like outsourcing to people who are better at a skill than we are. And I don't know how to sell advertisements, you know? And so we started to get to this place like, hey, this is getting costly in time. I'm gonna make a decision about whether we should continue down this path or not. And now I had brought on a full-time employee. It was costly, but it felt like it was an education for me as well. And it, it was this gift to celebrate the extraordinaries. And so we went to an agency and what happened with this agency is they had a couple podcasts they owned and then they were going to sell ads on mine. Well, I was in the back of the line. They're going to sell ads on theirs first. They're going to find the premier brands and partners that fit eloquently and are paying a premium for their podcasts. And you I was were kind of, the scraps. I was, it was full scraps. And so it just wasn't working. You know, like it, it doesn't work like that. So we, we cut that contract early and we said, okay, let's figure it out ourselves. 
So Trevor's done a fantastic job. And we've gone through like um, ups and downs. Like we've had turn away ads and sponsors and times when it was like, ooh, this is getting a little lean. You know, so we've had ebbs and flows in it. And it truly is a startup business. There's overhead, there's capital, there's vision. You know, there's resources that are in place and there's real work to make it work. And we're fortunate. We're, we're in the top 1% of all podcasts. We're in the top four for our category. We've reached top four. We, we hub around right around 10 um, on iTunes. And so I'm humbled and grateful for the community that's been built, like really humbled by it. There's thousands. You get hundreds of thousands yeah. of people yeah. and, tuning in. And, and, and we built this small little community called The Tribe on our website. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are supporting and challenging each other on their unique path of mastery. And that's happening every day. You know, it goes beyond just this voyeuristic observation of two people having a conversation about psychology to people actually putting in the work in their own lives to create a rising tide where hopefully it's floating all boats in our community. And so as you're moving forward and starting to sell ads, was this something that you ever had to do yourself? Were you ever had to like look an advertiser in the eye and say, this is what I want to do and do the business side of it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I, I actually really enjoy that. You did? Oh, I do. Yeah, I still do. I love that. So when I have the chance to, you know, sit down across the table or um, with somebody who wants to bet on our community, and we have this eye to eye neurochemical exchange like, hey, I, I really love your product too. And I'd like to see you win. And thank you for wanting to invest in our community that I really enjoy that. That that is the kind of fabric of relationships that it doesn't what you're describing doesn't even sound like advertising to me. It, it feels like friendship. Well, so that's the that's the rising tide idea. The agency, nothing wrong with agencies for some people. I'm not, I mean, it just didn't work for me because it was so transactional. It was like the spirit or the heart of what we were trying to do probably could never, it's not fair to think that they could convey that to a typical advertiser. And so, I don't know. I, I think that there's something I got to say, this makes me feel so good. Why, so why good it, because I went through a similar experience and ultimately met some people uh, who make these amazing hoodies. The company's called Sportique. We'll get you one. I love it. And I love wearing these hoodies. I love wearing the sweatpants. I love wearing the t-shirt. And so it's not a product that I'm advertising. I'm telling people, this is what I wear. That's it. That, that's, that is the spirit that I love too. And so it's introducing that sportique to your community. And we've got a special partner, Athletic Greens. And so both of us right now are mechanically giving a plug to a company that we love. And I, I love what they stand for, what they've done. They've taken uh, 51 iterations in 10 years to get micronutrients that we normally wouldn't eat into a proper formula. And Oh man, for oh, you. Yeah, for me, yeah. So I got a whole box for you. So no, seriously, I brought, I brought, I brought one with me, you know? So like you're kidding right. up now. No, yeah. that's, but this, this is this the is, ultimate point. This that's is right. This it's is community not, building. It's, it's not yeah. something on the other side of a wall that we're relying on to make the podcast float. It's like a partnership in a way, a it friendship. Is. It is, it feels that way when you get it right. So that's the difference between transaction and transformational you know, um, partnerships. And so I don't know, I love it. I think that it's been meaningful. And I, I wish that it, you keep hearing that it's a crowded space, a crowded space, podcasting is crowded. It is. And I wish more people would give it a go because there's so much to learn. I'll tell you, it's hard now. It's not easy. This is not an easy thing to do. Just because to, it's hard to get the ears with so many podcasts out there, or? I think that's one of them. It's, it is, it's hard to build a community. I think that that is true because there's lots of people that are looking for communities. So why should they build or be part of yours? You know, my, my thought is that, I'll tell you the, the worst conversations that I have is, um, and you never do this. And this is why, like the pod, when you were on Finding Mastery, 
God, it was great. It was eloquent. It was, you, well, you, you had a great time. Yeah, we had a great time. And whenever we have conversations thereafter, you don't do this thing. Like try to grab me by my ankles, flip me upside down, shake me until you get all the secrets out. All the, you know, until the last bit of lint falls out of my pockets where you can oh, extract, man. you know, how you can be a better human. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> That's why I say there's no, there's no tricks. Right. It's a yeah. fundamental orientation. What do you want in your life? Harvard did a 75 year study and they, they, they wrestled with, that's a long time to do a study. They did a study on fulfillment and they want to understand the themes for people that were the most fulfilled in life. One of those themes was that they grokked and wrestled with the difficult and hard questions in life. The most fulfilled people wrestled with the hard questions in life. Oh man. Who are you? That could be me. Yeah, right. Who are you? Do this work though, Cal. This is why our, I love our conversations. Like, who are you? What is your purpose? What are you doing today and for the rest of your life? What matters most for you? What is your guiding philosophy? Those are big, difficult questions. And those that were most fulfilled, they stared them down, they entertained them. This is a lucky day for Cal hearing that. I, I, it makes me think differently. It does it. Yeah, because sometimes you have obstacles come up. Like for me, I'm trying to see where all this is taking me, this podcast, and now going and helping companies tell their stories and doing storytelling workshops for people. And I don't know where it's going. And there are times, especially with the internet and me not understanding how to use it in a, a way where it's powerful, there are obstacles. And yet when I look at it through your lens, I feel very fulfilled because there are a lot of stuff that I struggle with. Mm, yeah, yeah, and th that, that struggle is part of the path. The goal in life is the path. It's not the destination of something. It's not the championships. It's not the bank account. It's living on the path with vibrance, with zest and zeal, and wrestling with the difficult struggles. Like that's what the, that's the big goal in life. It is, it is not what we've been sold. We're about the same age. Wow. It is not what we've been sold. And the current generation, everyone gives the millennials a hard time. Well, you know what? They're reminding us of this. They're saying, I'm not working in a box from nine to five, dude. I'm not doing that. Why would you do that? Look outside. It's beautiful. I want to live with purpose. I'll take less money if I can live a life that is rich. I'm thinking now about something that we talked about this morning. This really blew me away how you are taking all this wisdom you've amassed from your podcast and how you are, it, it almost seems like you're like straining it to see the gold that can be e extracted uh, and through artificial intelligence. What gave you that idea? <laughs> yeah, it's like my mind can't keep up with the science and the brilliance from the podcast and from the research that's happening. It's just too much excellence. Yeah, and you know. You can't hold. It's, it's a, like a saturation. A single brain can't hold all that excellence. That's right. And so what we're doing is I, I built a model and a, a psychological framework, if you will, on how the extraordinaries work. And that's informed by science. And then it is innovated based on how you know, the best in the world work. Then Coach Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, he and I built a business together and that's called Compete to Create. And we also built the Performance Science Institute at USC. So we've got this institute that we're co-creators of. And the origin idea of that is to give the insights to the next generation of business leaders, USC first. And for the scientists, to study what we're doing, what, what are we, what what are we finding, and is it really going to work for a generation of people? And so they have partnered up with what's called 
natural language processors. So there's a programming, natural language processing, that can take words, you don't need numbers, take words, make a meaning out of the words, the computer does, and then runs them through our model, our psychological framework model. And that model has been informed by science and what people say that they do to, to be great and what we figured out by being in the trenches in these high stakes environments. So we got this model, we're pushing all of the words and language through the model and we're figuring out what are the themes, what are the streams, and what are the insights that people can practice. And hopefully then we get to translate that to you know, the planet and whatever that means. So you, you got like more than 200 of the people who have pushed themselves as far as humans can be pushed. And the wisdom and the essence of that, it's all going to be decoded and you'll be able to come out of it with try this, try that. That's right. And ultimately, like I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I'm a licensed psychologist with an entrepreneurial appreciation. And so you, you nailed it. And then what that's going to do is that's going to inform our business, Again, Compete to Create is the name of it. There's all these names. But that's going to inform the business, which then um, we're taking the insights from science and elite sport and sharing those practices with enterprise corporations and individuals now. We've got a product that's open for individuals. So it informs our business. And at the same time, it informs the next generation of business leaders at, at USC. Wow. And then, and then like... It's going to inform everybody. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure who, but yes. And we open that thing up to as many possible humans that want, this is who I want to spend my time with. Those that want to figure out what's possible for them. And they don't just say it. They don't say, I want to be my best, but they're thirsty for it. They're hungry for it. They're willing to experience pain and uncomfortableness and do what is required to grow. Most people say it, but they don't, they don't really want to do it. You know what? That's me right now. What are you doing? I, I don't know, but I just see that I can help a lot of people through the telling of their stories. I see that I can help a lot of businesses by telling their stories and increasing their revenues. They're going to hire more people. And because of that, families will get started. Kids will go to college. And this, these are things that never occurred to me before I started this podcast. There you go. How fun is that? Is it more passive, your approach to the next phase of your life? Or is it more like you're an active agent? Like, I know what I want to build or create, and I need to figure out how to get there. You know, this is exactly what I am facing because I've always been prepared to improvise. But this stage is asking me to have a vision. To use your imagination. Use, which I, I, I can do. Yeah, you're great but at it. But it's, it's basically saying, okay, imagine where you want to go instead of getting in the current and just seeing where it takes you. And hopefully you're not in a place where for 47 minutes you're gonna be paddling and going nowhere. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare. It's, yeah. it's very different though when you're actually thinking like Walt Disney, how did he do that? He was just a kid drawing. How did Disney World come out of that? That's what, what I want to know. That's great. Most of the extraordinaries are just like you and me. Now, that can almost seem blasphemous. That can almost seem disrespectful to their genius. But what's missed is the relentless and uncommon commitment to unlocking, to figuring out, to expressing. And it is a fundamental way that they've organized their life towards that aim. Whether it's Walt, or whether it's Leonardo da Vinci, or it is Michelangelo, or it is fill in the blank, they have a natural skill. We call them gifts, but they've amplified them. So I don't know, I, this is a existential question. Like, does everybody have a gift? I think in a certain way, yeah, people do. 
And let's say that your gift is not as remarkable as somebody else's gift. It's the same type of gift. Let's say it's drawing. Somebody else has their brain is just organized in an amazing way, but you've got an, a, 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 a feel for it. So that extraordinary talent that doesn't refine their craft will fall short of potential. If you double down, triple down, figure it out, relentlessly become interested in unlocking, expressing, and artistically creating something, you're gonna take it much further. You know what I feel like right now? Mm. I feel like I'm standing on a little surfboard with a paddle about to get in the ocean. Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let me, be your, let me be your guide on that one, yeah. Isn't it a great feeling? That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss, as usual, for nudging me to start this podcast. All the good things that come out of my storytelling keynotes, workshops, and consulting have roots in my friendships with Tim and Michael. Want to also thank Matt and Jason at Sportique for backing my workshop in Munich with custom t-shirts. Feel blessed to be in such great company. I look up and see Detroit Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford wearing Sportique. The iconic pizza master, Chris Bianco and Sportique. What a family you guys have created at Sportique. For the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, and tees, go to Sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com, and use the offer code CAL for 20% off, and join the Sportique family. want to thank Eric Levis for making me and my podcast guests feel at home at WeWork. Eric, I'm telling you. Michael Gervais got a great podcast. We work might want to get behind Finding Mastery as well. And if any listeners of big questions are looking for office space, We Work has got whatever you need: communal tables, phone booths, enclosed offices, podcast studios, even theater space. Go to www.we.co/cal for twenty percent off. Want to thank all of you who reached out to Sam and Dave after last week's podcast to find out how to use air quotes. That's A I R R Q U O T E S. Air quotes will allow you to save your favorite moments on Big Questions or any other podcast and share them with your friends or through social media. Go to A I R R dot I O slash Cal to see how you can gain early access to this cutting-edge technology. Who would have thunk it? Me, on the cutting edge of technology. I'm only getting started. The best is yet to come. Cheers. <laughs>